God bless you. We're looking forward to seeing you soon. Hey, church family. Great to be with you again. Yeah, week after week after week. But let me just share with you, we have already set October 4th to be a reopening day. Now, of course, we have to get permission from uh, Foursquare organization to be able to do that as our governor, uh, the things that he would bring up. But uh, just in my spirit, I wanted to prepare everybody, leadership, staff, that we are planning on opening up October 4th. If that is not to take place, we will let you know. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you gave me to speak. Let it charge our spirits, our minds, and our souls to recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit in this very uh, ability that we have to be an American, to be one who votes, to be one who hears the voice of the Holy Spirit and votes in a moral way. And I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, Scripture tells us to occupy till he comes. And today I am going to express to you um, one teaching, and then we'll move into a new series. But I want to express to you our responsibility, especially when it comes to this coming November 3rd, in voting, in being an American citizen, being someone who uh, has the ability to be given charge and uh, the freedom to be able to make choices, to make godly choices and make sure that God's plans will prevail in the nation that we live in. Let me begin today by giving you a Bible principle. The way that a people views its own history, it will affect the way that people behave. Let me say that again. The way that a people views its own history, it will affect the way that people behave. I've had the privilege of doing a study for about eight months on our civic duty, on our uh, responsibility, on occupying occupying until Jesus returns. And through this, God has given me many different facets and truths. But what I want to do is I I want to take you into a study about remembering our history. In the book of Judges is a story of Israel. Israel had many ups and Israel had many downs. Matter of fact, what I'm going to show you is that Israel had seven cycles where they were up serving God, walking in moral authority, walking in civic authority, and then they had seven downs where they literally rejected the things of the Lord. And in rejection of the things of the Lord, they thought they were right. They thought that what they were doing was right. They thought that they were doing the Lord's work by rejecting these things. The book of Judges reveals whether it was up or down reminds us it depended how Israel remembered history. 
Israel had a purpose, or we could say why God brought her into existence. There was that purpose. Israel, if she remembered her purpose, she behaved differently than when she forgets. Church, you have a purpose too. The United States of America has a purpose also from the Lord. One of the stories is the story of Josiah. In this story, they were rebuilding the temple, and it was in the time and the transfer of coming from a down and, and, and beginning to serve the Lord and restore things. And so they were rebuilding the temple for the purpose of getting God back into the life flow of their nation. Now, this is a decision any nation should do. And my question to you, in everything that you are doing, everything that we are doing as a church, everything you are doing as a business, everything that you are doing as a family, are you writing God in the plan? Now, in the rebuilding the temple, the story goes that they found an old scroll or a writing, and on the writing was a part or a history story of Israel. It actually was a writing of Israel's history. So they gathered and said, you mean we used to be like that? We used to live our lives like that? That's how we based our decisions? See, seeing the scroll and their history, it produced a national revival. Today we find part of our, our lifestyle, a part of our nation trying to just eradicate and cause part of our history to disappear. That's not biblical. So if we understand that this produced a national revival in Israel, we find that it produced passages like this, Isaiah 43. Romans 15.4, which says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of Scriptures might have hope. In other words, as we look back to how we were founded as a nation, that we can have hope for our future because in finding the true history of the beginning of our nation, we will find the purposes of God for our nation. You find scriptures like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 11, Psalm 3, Psalm 77. All of them say, recall the former days and remember the former times. Matter of fact, you get into the New Testament looking at the book of Acts. Remember Stephen who was stoned? Stephen preaches and it takes two chapters to cover what he said. Now, this is what I'm about, hear what I'm about to say. Stephen doesn't give a long doctrinal dissertation. Stephen does not stand up and give the longest sermon, biblical sermon, of the Bible regarding doctrine. But what Stephen does is he gives a history lesson. So let me surmise 
what he said. He said, guys, don't you see what God is trying to do in us and through us from the beginning of our nation? Talking of what happened at the beginning of Israel. Stephen reviews every generation, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, up to the day that he spoke. So this is called providential view of history. And what I want you to understand, and I know with all the stuff going on in our world, all the chaos, all the anger, all the different things, by the way, chaos, anger, uh, with sin, all the above, that's not of God. Straight out, that's not of God. But this is a providential view of history. We used to do this in America. The purpose was to know what God was doing from 1600, 1640, 1680, across generations and say, look at what God has done. Look what he is planning. Here's what God was trying to accomplish. Here's where God wanted to take us. And at times, Israel was in a down place. At time, Israel was not in line with the Word of God. At time, Israel sinned. But see, that doesn't change the fact that God has a plan and it's providential. We don't teach this anymore. We don't even teach a good political view of history anymore. Last July, the United States of America turned 244 years old. And if you look at our textbooks, at the explanation of why we became independent, the reason taught is, here it is, taxation without representation. That's why America began. Well, let me just tell you, this is good, but it is only a part of the reason. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, gives us 27 reasons why we became a nation. How different would we be if we studied in our schools the other 26 also? Now, let me show you this. In my studies in the past eight months, there are hundreds of thousands of writings and documents that predate the declaration of the people preparing for our nation's independence. There was church history. There was black history. There was all different cultural histories, all different things that there were writings that came in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some. But what, what I want you to do is I want you to understand this in a providential way. In other words, God's plan for this nation began even before the Declaration of Independence. In 1761, a document is a charter for the very first missionary society ever started in America. People say that all of our founders, all of the, our fathers of our nation were not Christian, and very few were, and it's not a Christian nation. Well, let me just tell you, that's not true. We are a Christian nation. And I'm going to show you in our history, that's why people want to remove our history, in our history, our foundation is the Word of God. So this is a pretty good idea, huh? 
that we would actually, in our nation or our states, we would start a missionary society or we would train missionaries to go to other nations. We thought it was a good idea, but King George III said, you can't do that. And his reasoning was, we have an established church and you don't need a missionary society, so he vetoed it. He said, if you're going to have church, you're going to teach, you're going to do what we tell you to teach and do. We basically were told, don't listen to God, I'll tell you what your purpose is. That's called tyranny. This is the very reason Charles Carroll, one of the signers of the Declaration, and John Adams, uh, who were signers of the Declaration of Independence, said they got involved in the revolution. Religious liberties, not taxation, without representation. But we're always just talking about taxation without representation. These guys got involved so we can have under God in our Pledge of Allegiance. They got involved so we can have a prayer at a football game. I used to do all the prayers of the football games around here in the city of El Monte, all the high schools. And one day I get a phone call with a person weeping on the phone saying, Pastor Gary, we're going to have to tell you we can't do our prayer anymore because prayer no longer is allowed. Hmm. But way back in 1761, we had men, great men and women, who wanted the King of kings and the Lord of lords to be glorified. Well, let's talk about slavery, moral issues. Did you know that in 1773, first in Connecticut, then Massachusetts, then Rhode Island, they abolished slavery? That's before 1776. In 1774, Pennsylvania also abolished slavery. And abolishing slavery began to pick up steam. King George III heard about it, vetoed every one of those laws saying, you are a part of the British Empire, so you will have slavery in your land. And our founding fathers said, hmm, great. Well, let's not be part of the British Empire anymore. And they began to write the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence. Dr. Benjamin Franklin, who people say was an atheist, Dr. Benjamin Rush, they said that was the reason why they got involved, because they wanted to end slavery. You will find in 1776, when we separated from the British Empire, more than half of the states abolish slavery. When we separated from the British Empire, we, half of our our states, abolished slavery. So the very founding of this nation, as people want to teach, founding is out of slavery, and slavery built. No, the very founding of our nation was to get away from the very essence of the sin of slavery and the darkness of holding men and women in bondage. This was so important to Franklin and Rush, they found or founded the first abolition society to end slavery 
the moment King George vetoed it. Their statements were, We so believe God wants slavery to be removed, we will begin civil disobedience against King George III. You don't hear that on the news. You don't hear that in many of our educational systems. We don't talk about these issues. So out of 27 issues, we talk about one. And today they are trying to take this away and cloak it in socialism. Most issues in our declaration are moral, spiritual, but we only educate in one. We talk about economics, one issue. So why is that? Well, let's look at our history. Why is that? Well, about 60 to 70 years ago, a group of people began to write textbooks in America for education. Charles and Mary Beard, W.E. Woodward, Fairfax Downey, and others, they said the only thing that motivates people or, or care about is money. Why don't we teach history that way? Since 1960, we call it the American view of economic history. The American view of economic history. Out of 27 clauses in the Declaration, we only study one. Because we only look at economics and not the spiritual and moral, we even change the heroes we studied. 200 years ago, when John Adams was asked, who is behind America's independence? How did this happen? Who who was in charge of this? Who made this happen? Well, let me tell you, his answer was very surprising. John Adams said he named mostly ministers of the gospel and many of the Christians. Church family, we don't study our religious heroes. We don't realize some of our heroes were African American too. Let me give you some history on that. A man named Richard Allen was a slave. But a Methodist preacher came to where Richard Allen was a slave and led Richard to the Lord. Richard is so excited, he begins to preach to everyone. Well, let me just ask you, who was everyone? Everyone to him, because he was a slave, was on the plantation that he was a slave on. But before long, Richard Allen leads his master to the Lord. And he begins, his master begins to serve Jesus Christ, who became his master's master. And his master says, what am I doing holding slaves? And he allows Richard and all the slaves on the plantation to be released and gave them freedom. Richard heads across New England to preach. And he kept going and got to Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia at that time was a mega city. It had a total of 40,000 people. And he starts a church, and the church becomes a mega church, and the church grows to about 2,000 people. 
There were 40,000 who lived in Philadelphia. He had a church of 2,000 people. So picture this with me. A black pastor with 2,000 white congregants. A black pastor leading and guiding and directing and discipling 2,000 white people. Well, you say, I've never heard of that. There's a lot of things you've never heard. Because what the enemy wants to do is to steal, kill, and destroy and to remove history. Oh, we could even talk about pulling down statues, whatever. We want to remove history. And the history shows the founding of this nation. One of the major aspects and causes is literally to stop slavery. Lemuel Haynes was a black pastor for 30 years. Now, who is this guy? Lemuel Haynes, in our history, you will find he was one of the Minutemen in Lexington and Concord. He served in our military for eight years, and he re-upped seven times. He fought in every major battle in the American Revolution. He was a patriot, and he was a hero. But every single year in his church, on George Washington's birthday, he had a special sermon about his commander-in-chief. He fought side-by-side with President Washington. But we don't hear about this. We sure don't hear about all the black pastors who were so integral of America's founding and America's freedom. So the question is, why did John Adams point these ministers out when asked the question, who was behind our independence? Here it is. Christians were able to point out to the whole nation how practical the Word of God is. Christian Christian rules and laws and, and situations that we live by. This is what we must understand. <clears throat> In the history, the beginning of our nation... And the fight that we have when we're up, when we're down, when we're up, when we're down, just like Israel, we face the same thing. But every time we turn to the Word of God, every time we turn to moral issues and began to walk in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit by walking in the power of the Word of God, the nation changes. When we turn Jerusalem and, and send our embassy to Jerusalem, we were making a, st- a statement church family, we have to understand that the church will not be knocked down. We are closed right now, but the church is doing greater things now. And you have to understand, and I have to understand, that we have to stop listening to the culture cancelers. And we need to start listening to the Word of God and going back into our history and find out what God really did in this nation and our purpose. And our purpose is to proclaim religious freedom with liberty. The Word of God applies to every single thing in life. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 17 tells us why God gave us the Scripture. Being equipped in the Word means you are equipped for every good work. The Bible says that there's not one thing Man is good. There's only one good, and that is God. So in other words, we have to have moral, scriptural, spiritual understanding of the Word of God to do the good work. So when we're down, when we've done wrong, when this nation has done wrong, we can rise up and allow God to write it like He did with Israel. There's no nation that's perfect. There's no people that's perfect. There's no family that's perfect. There's no business that's perfect. But when we understand that we keep looking back to what God has done, we will begin to see our future. And we'll begin to see the freedom and the chaos and the junk that is going on in our world will stop because men and women and boys and girls will rise up and they will know the very purposes that our nation was founded upon. And the lies that you are hearing are so huge, don't believe it. Young people, God has a plan for you. Stop listening to people, and I'm going to say it, who have Marxist thoughts. Did you know many of our founding fathers read through the Bible every year? John Quincy Adams, Benjamin Rush, Lyman Hall, and others So what's my point on that? There is an amendment in our our declaration that protects our faith. It protects our faith. That's why that's there. That's not there just because, oh, this sounds like a good political view. Sounds like we're going to do things good. It was there because it was a depth of a spiritual understanding. See, We have our court system telling us we need to keep our faith at home or a church, but not in the public today. That's wrong. So religion is important, but keep it in its place. That's wrong. It should be this way. Faith in education, faith in medicine, faith in our economy, faith in morality. The founding of our country said the Word of God will always be a part of everything, and it applies to everything. America, years back, didn't matter what we were dealing with. We looked at it through the lens of Scripture. Israel had seven holidays to bring everybody back to Scripture looking at our history. We have our holidays. We, we used to teach on the holidays Uh, sermons regarding the resurrection of Christ. We used to teach all the birth of Jesus Christ Christmas. We do it here, but you find in many, many places, we don't even do that in church anymore. Thanksgiving, what was Thanksgiving about? was about giving thanks to the Lord for what he has done. From 1803, a military role, the principles of just and unjust biblically was literally what was written in our military role. We had election sermons. November 3rd is our election. It used to be where the week before, every pastor would have an election sermon. That's where Titus comes from, 1 Peter 5. 
God ordains government. So from 1633 to over 1900, that we would have this happening, but we don't do that anymore. It literally was about how do you choose your leaders and what do you base it on? What do you base your voting on? Do you base it on what's fair or do you base it on what the Word of God says? I base it on what the Word of God says. Matter of fact, let me just give you a little caveat here. We have one uh, declaration in our during the same time, France changed 15 times. Let me say it a different way. We have still one Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and France during all that time changed theirs 15 times. How could that happen? Because everybody else, they do the same thing. You find all these other nations. You find all these other nations and they're changing. After every leader, after every leader, after every leader, they change. Well, let me tell you, what was literally integral to all of our founders and how they put together the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. There's a book called The Two Treaties of Government by a man named John Locke, and he wrote it in 1689. And it was the guideline that all of these guys used. The book uses 1,700 scriptures to solidify the thought and the content of the book. That is why our nation has stayed with one declaration and one constitution in all these years. Maybe our success is founded in Scripture. <laughs> Not maybe, it is. How strong it is when men of God will return to God, when, when men and women will return to God. Why I say men of God is because sometimes men of God reject God. But we are returning to God today. In our nation, with all the chaos, I am seeing, as a prophetic person, I am seeing men and women, boys and girls, returning to God. Well, people did a study and said, where did all the wisdom come from to really put this declaration and this constitution together? Well, a group got together and they collected 15,000 writings in the founding era or the time frame uh, in the 1700s. And what they found, a total of 3,154 direct quotes in, in this. They found the source of the quotes also. The number one source used to quote was the Bible. 34% of the quotes came out of the Bible. Of all these writings, of 15,000, 34% of 15,000 were quotes straight from the Bible. 
separation of powers, came from Jeremiah 17.9. Three branches of government found in Isaiah 33.22. Tax exemption in the church 220-some years ago. Ezra chapter 7, verse 24. Where did all these amazing ideas come from? Came from the Bible. That's our nation. Out of 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 24 held seminary degrees. Not bad for all being atheists, huh? The way we're taught today. Some of the founding fathers, you will, you will know this. Dr. John Withersprung, he translated the first family Bible. Charles Thompson, ever hear of the Thompson Bible? The first translation of the Greek to English that you can still find today? Charles Thompson, he's the one that created that. Dr. Rush, 1791, he started the, the Society for Sunday School. He started the first society. See, back then, they would start societies, and it would be people giving money and support for it, and they would produce it in all of our nation. And he started this, saw the importance of the Bible or reading the Bible. And so in his society, he began Sunday school. I could go on, but I would need another hour. September 6, 1774, was the first time all the signers got together. Listen to that again. September 6, 1774, was the first time all of the signers who signed the Declaration of Independence when they began to talk about our independence. The Bible uh, is so intricate in their lives, but history when you go back to read it, tells us that there were notes of that meeting that said that they prayed for three hours. After they prayed for three hours, then they studied four books of the Bible. So in other words, before they even got into the essence of writing things and talking politically, they spent a whole day in the Word of God in prayer. Proverbs 29, verse 2 says this. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. I can't vote for someone who will murder over a million children a year. I'm not telling you how to vote. But I'm telling you what's important. I can't vote for someone who rejects God. Whether we're up in our nation or down in our nation, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I cannot balance murder a million kids this and count that equal. Wrong. And I would encourage you to go back again and to stop listening to the culture cancelers 
and begin to realize what God is doing in our nation. God is in the midst of the pandemic changing our nation, changing our churches, and taking us to a greater height that we've never been before. So let me finish with this statement, second statement. We are accountable for our rights and our rulers. So vote in accordance with the Word of God. Righteousness exalts a nation and nothing else. So church family and all our friends, steward your freedom well. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Truly an awesome message that I'm sure uh, opened up a lot of eyes. I know I was greatly moved by uh, really hearing a lot of this I had heard before, but uh, Pastor, you really brought out some real depth. And, uh, you know, not only were our founding fathers uh, people who adhered to the Word of God, they adhered to a relationship with God. And if you're watching today and you heard that message, uh, you may be saying, how do I have a relationship with God? If God was so interested in the United States of America that he moved upon men to come into the place, Christian men that had a relationship with God, to be brought into the place of prominence in our government to be able to shape and mold uh, our, our very foundation, our Constitution, and our Declaration of Independence, to set the course of this nation into the direction that God had pre-planned and purposed for us to be today. And if that God is so interested in this nation, I want you to know that he is so very interested in you individually. He knows you. He knows of your life. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. Uh, you know, when Jesus went to the cross, he bore our sin. He bore our sickness. He bore every rebellious thought and all the rebellious nature that we have as a people, as just as being human beings. He took that upon himself and paid the price for all to be saved. All. When we talk about saved, you know, you can hear that and say that's a religious, uh, a religious statement. Basically, what it's saying is he paid the price for you, for me, to become one with him and have relationship and have fellowship with him continually. The Lord just loves his creation. You were created by Almighty God. However, he gave us a free will. He gave us the right to choose, and he will protect your right to choose. And so I would admonish you today. Uh, to give your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, to ask him to become your Lord and Savior. You may be saying, well, I haven't been a very religious person. I don't know much about the church. I don't know much about the word. That's okay. All you have to know at this point is that Jesus loves you. He paid the price for you, and he wants you to come into fellowship with him, and he will then place his Holy Spirit on the inside of you to lead and guide you into all truth. But he will also become your teacher, and he will bring peace people into your life that will help you in this walk. And I can guarantee you that uh, your thinking will be changed, your life will be changed. It doesn't mean that you'll be free from uh, hardships or heartaches, 
troubles in this life, no, they'll still come upon you. However, you'll have the answers to life within you, and he, God, loving you personally, will guide you through, as I like to say, the minefield of life and bring you into a rich place of uh, of just God's favor. You know, Psalms 512 talks about the favor of God, that we're surrounded with his favor like a shield. So that's how much God cares about you. He's got plans and purposes for your life. You may be even watching this and saying, you don't know how old I am. I've wasted so much of my life. Uh, That's okay. You can start today. And I'll tell you, the years that you do have left on this earth, earth will be years that will be rich and will be very fulfilled in knowing him. And you'll be able to look back on your life and just uh, in one year and just say, I'm so grateful that I made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Can I pray with you today? Father, we just love you and we thank you. We give you the praise for those who are considering receiving you as Lord today. Lord, I ask that you put your arms around them and hug them and hold them and let them sense your very presence. Right now, your presence moving upon them, confirming the words that they heard today about this nation, about how much you love this country, and how you've raised this nation up. And Lord, we do believe that our best best days, our best years are ahead in this nation. And for us individually, when we come to know you, we know that our best days are truly ahead. So Father, I thank you for moving upon the hearts of those that are receiving you now, that are just saying, Lord, come into my heart take over my life. I've made such a mess of it. I need you, Lord, to straighten it out. Forgive me of all my sin. And Lord, take me step by step in this way. Teach me your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to overflowing today. Fill me with your personal prayer language in my life. And Lord, change my life. And Lord, I thank you for doing so in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. It's so great that you've made that decision today. And to our church family, you've heard our pastor say that October 4th, we're looking forward to it's a tentative date, but we are believing that it's going to be a date that's on track. And if the governor pushes that up, we will let you know on the website. But we do know that it's getting close. I so look forward, as does Pastor, as does Terry and the staff, of being with you once again, worshiping together. I'll tell you, I know that when we get back together this next time, our worship is just going to be mighty. It's going to be rich. So we look forward to seeing you soon. Have a great week as you